The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. I'm Sylvia Ascarelli, an editor at Market Watch and the writer of our popular Where Should I Retire series. I'm here with Lynn Garrell, who moved to France about five years ago from Colorado. She lives in the small village of Bise-Minervois in south central France, about 45 minutes from the Mediterranean. Bonjour, Lynn. Bonjour, Sylvia. <laughs> so we're going to be talking about how Lynn moved to France, some of the ups and downs, and we'll be answering many of your questions or as many as we can during the next 30 minutes or so. But you can also read the article about her. The link is in the chat. And you can also find the link to her blog about life in France. Her blog is called Lovedo Life. So Lynn, I, I see you're um, already thinking about the, the 14th of July. So it's, that's the French version of the 4th of July. So help us set the scene of what it's like to live in France. Tell me about what people in Bise-Minervois will be doing tomorrow. Uh, I think all over France, the, 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 well, there are two celebrations happening. One of them is that we haven't been able to do this for a couple of years. So people are really excited to you know, get outside and be together and, and celebrate. And uh, the other thing is that, um, that what happens on 14th of July is, is usually every town or city has its traditions about celebrating. And here in Bees, there's usually a, a town dinner that's down by the river at the center of town. Um, this year, it's going to be a big paella feed. And um, so people will go down there and have dinner and there will be music before dinner and after dinner. And it's usually a, a whole night celebration. It'll go until two in the morning. Wow, that sounds pretty incredible. Um, and sounds like a heck of a lot of the town will be out. Yeah, yeah, I think so. <laughs> so let's, let's talk a bit about how you came across bees because um, this is down near Narbonne, and the Narbonne area is not exactly well known with Americans the way Provence is, and uh, you don't really find much about it in the guidebooks. And it's not the big city like Paris. So even though it's in a big wine region, it's not one of the prestige ones, it's really a mystery to a lot of Americans. How do you find it? <laughs> well, I like things that are off the beaten path, so that made it a little bit easier for me. Um, my husband and I had traveled around France, different places, and we had been in Provence several times. I like Provence a lot, but I didn't want to live there. It's, it's just well known to tourists, Americans, and, and lots of other people. So it's busy in the season, and there are lots of buses and that sort of thing. It's busy enough here, too, although it's mostly concentrated at the beach. And... I just, I knew I wanted to be in the South and near the sunshine, but I, I wanted to go for someplace a little bit more off the beaten path. And so I, I picked Occitanie without really knowing it at all. So it sounds like it's moved, it's moved, uh, worked out well for you, but as we know, and our listeners know, moving is hard, mm -hmm. even in the U.S. And, and moving overseas just seems particularly difficult. So I, I, I know you had some French even before the two-week intensive class you took before deciding to move. 
But still, can you talk about what you found particularly challenging? And, and was there a moment where you said, oh my gosh, what have I done? Yeah, well, those moments happen a lot. They still happen. <laughs> you know, it's, but gosh, does it not happen in our normal lives anyway, no matter what we're doing? If I had stayed in the States, would I have found a moment where I said, what am I doing here? So, you know, I think, yes, sometimes I, I have, uh, I have my doubts, but I, overall, I really love living here. And um, there are hurdles there. It's, this is definitely not the easiest thing to do, especially I think by yourself. Um, but I don't know, you, you I just find your way through them. Um, the language, I, I think the language is important for people who are going to a place where English is not the main language. It's worth taking some lessons ahead of time and, and feeling like you can at least communicate with people. And um, that's probably the biggest hurdle really for a lot of people, that and the bureaucracy. So, yeah. Well, can you talk on the flip side, the moment you said, yes, this is the place for me and I'm gonna stay. I'm not just staying for a year like I told my friends. The yes moment was, uh, it was sort of elongated. Um, I came here, I told people that I was coming for a year and I thought that it might be for more than a year, but a year gave me an out and it was also a smaller bite for people to take. Um, and a, a few months into things, I. I thought, well, okay, I, I'm in this rental. It's, it's an expensive tourist vacation rental. So I'd like to try to find housing that's a little bit less expensive. How am I going to do that? This is a tiny town, 1,200 people. So there's not a lot of, of rental property available. And I realized that, that people, I, I had met some friends, some wonderful people who took me under their wing and, and have introduced me to their friends and we've done a lot together. We've become very close friends. We've even traveled together a few times. And that started to help me feel like this could be a home. This, this was a place where I would like to be. And um, that feeling just kept going. And, and then they started talking to their friends to try to help me find a, another place to live. And that was when I really felt like, oh, okay, this town is opening itself up to me and now it's time for me to open myself up to being here. So, yeah. That, that's wonderful. I think it's so important to have that network of friends and we all have to build a new network when we move, even if it's in the US and we can't underestimate the difficulty of that. Um, so Sharon is curious about what you miss about the US. Uh, yeah, I miss Mexican food a lot. <laughs> new Mexican food, I miss Santa Fe. Um, but you know, really the big thing that I miss is the people that I left behind my, my family and friends that I don't really get to see as often as I would like to. That's the main thing. Hopefully they will be traveling, um, again and yeah. coming to visit. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about what it costs to, to live in bees, Minervois. I think a lot of people are very curious about that. Okay. You told me, um, people could live here on, uh, for about $3,000 a month. So can you give our listeners a rough sense of the cost of housing, of food, utilities, internet, perhaps? What would Americans find relatively inexpensive? And what would they say is, wow, that's expensive? And a word of caution to everybody listening, these housing costs don't translate to Paris or Provence. <laughs> okay, so I'm living now, I'm renting a house. It's a, it's a small two bedroom, one bathroom house, but I do have a garage, which is a little unusual. 
and I'm paying 800 a month. That's a little bit on the high side in this town, but I have a garage and that counts. And I actually do have a little bit of a garden. I have a nice terrace. So it's a good situation. I'm also um, up on the hill above town. Um, so uh, it's a good, it's, it's just a good setting. Um, I, I looked at, at bills just so I'd have an idea of, of what, how I could answer this question for you. So my electricity, uh, they, they offer a program where they, they um, for the first year that you're there with, you're with them, they figure out how much you're spending and then they, they offer the service of prorating it over the year. So I took that um, and I'm paying about 40 euros a month for utilities, but that's for, you know, all year round. So it's more in the winter, obviously, and, and somewhat less in the summer, although I've been running my little portable air conditioner a lot lately. Um, my internet, so in, in France, um, I don't know if this is true in other countries, but in France, internet, television, um, mobile phone, all of that stuff is one service, which is really kind of nice. Um, and you can, you can take parts of it if you want to, like, I don't, I don't have a TV and I don't watch TV, so I don't, I don't have that service. I'm paying about 30 euros a month. Um, and that's for my phone and internet service in the house and a landline. It's everything comes automatically with a landline. Um, you asked me about my car insurance, which is about 800 a year. Um, and what else is on that list? And groceries, you know, I, groceries is a, that's a really tough question to answer because God, it depends on you. Do you eat a lot of meat? Do you, you know, fish and seafood? Do you, are you really picky about your cheese like I am? So I spend money on cheese, you know, it's, everybody has kind of their different things. I, you can, you can get by with spending not very much at all. And there are times when I go to the grocery store and fill the basket and it's not even 25 euros when I come out. That's usually fresh produce really. And, and then there are other times when it's more because I'm stocking up on, toilet paper, like we did during COVID or, you know, things like that. So it, it really varies. I, I um, we were talking about the markets, the, the fresh produce markets, which are so wonderful. I wouldn't go to one with less than 50 euros in cash. Um, I don't always spend that. Sometimes I wish I had more, but that, that would get me out of there with easily with a week's worth of groceries and possibly a dinner party as part of that. So. And probably uh, some wonderful cheese. And definitely some wonderful cheese. Um, and the one, the, the place where I'd like to say that, that Americans will face sticker shock is um, the U.S. government actually uh, um, uh, bolsters the, the, the fuel industry. And so gasoline is artificially cheap in the United States. It's more expensive pretty much anywhere else in the world where you're going to go. And that's true here. So it, we're driving around, we see prices um, for, for gasoline And we go, oh, you know, that's that's about what it is in the States, except that the price is per liter, not per gallon. And there are about three and a half liters to a gallon. So it's expensive. Gasoline is definitely expensive here. Um, that's a little bit of a shock. But on the other hand, health insurance is much less expensive and health costs, sort of day-to-day -day health costs are less expensive. Um, I think food is cheaper. Other people will tell you that it's more expensive. Um, so I, I think it depends on what you buy and what you're looking for. Um, but does that give you an idea? Is that? Yeah, is that no. And I can relate to certain things, certain food items that are more American are going to be more expensive if that's not what's 
typical for that that area, having having lived abroad too. Um, reminder to everybody, by the way, to put your questions for Lynn in the chat. And, and Lynn, one of the things people are really curious about already is, is healthcare, as you can imagine. And Annie is one of those asking about this. You arrived with travel insurance and then moved to the public healthcare system. Can you talk about how that switch happened and your health, the, this coverage you have now? Yeah. So when you apply for a visa to live in France, one, um, they give you a whole list of, of documents that you have to provide when you make that application. And, and one of the things that you have to have is, um, is health insurance coverage purchased in the United States to cover the period that you're asking for the visa. So I was asking for one year, which is the maximum length of visa. And I had to, I had to purchase a year of insurance um, in the States. There are a lot of companies that do this. You can, you can find info online and they, they're used to this system. They're used to, to selling packages that are for people who are applying for a visa. Um, there are a couple of requirements. One of them is that you have to have zero deductible. And another requirement is that you have to, you have to have repatriation covered, which means that if you die here, your body will, it'll be paid, it'll be covered to have your body shipped back to the US. So those are two things that the French government is looking for as part of your, your health insurance coverage. But once I was here, um, what I really wanted to do was to get on the French national healthcare system because it's a much better system. It's much, much better coverage than I was getting with that, with that, what I was paying for in the United States for a lot less money. And, and the really, um, you have to, this is going to be individualized. It's not going to be the same process for everybody because I'm retired. But I, um, I worked with, I, I, I pay taxes here in France. And in order to get into that system, I worked with an accountant here who also is bilingual and she works with American and British customers as well and helps people understand how to navigate paying taxes at home, paying taxes here. Um, but you have to, you have to, file a tax return in order to get into the system in order to, to qualify for um, what's called a carte vitale or, or the, the health card here. Um, so I did that. I got into the system. And so now every year I file my American taxes, which are due roughly April 15th. And then I take that information, turn right around and, and send it off to my local accountant who processes it for the French tax system which generally the, the season is May and June is, is when taxes are due. Um, so I'm in that system and, um, and yeah, that's, that's actually how you go about doing it. And you also have private coverage that costs you less than a thousand dollars a year, if I'm remembering right. Yeah. So the, the French, um, the French healthcare system covers a lot and it, it covers very minimum coverage, but if you, if there's, if there are things that you want over and above that, like a hundred percent coverage for catastrophic care, or um, the one that my friends talked about a lot was a private room in a hospital. So if you need to be hospitalized for something, the the basic national healthcare system won't pay for a, a private room. So lots of people get the what's called mutuelle. Um, uh, um, that's the French word for it. Um, it's the 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 um, the extra health insurance coverage that you, you go to a, an insurance agency and you sign up for this extra coverage. And mine is about 800 euros a year. 
And when do you use, when have you used the private system versus the public system? Well, if I go to the doctor, so this past winter I had a virus that would not go away and I was pretty sick. So I, the first step was to go to the doctor. Um, that's um, a doctor visit is 25 euros. And um, you, when you, when you have the visit, you're sitting in the doctor's office who asks for your health card and asks for your credit card, you just pay you know, on the spot. And then health insurance will reimburse you for I think 80% of that charge. Then the mutual, the, the, the extra service that I cover will, will cover I think all but one euro of the remaining fee. So I'm pretty much covered. It's costing me a euro to go to the doctor. Wow. And, um, and then I, oh my gosh, medications at the pharmacy are so inexpensive here even over the counter things are are much much less expensive here which is really nice um so that I, when i had that virus that was pretty much all i used but about a year ago a little bit less than a year ago i broke my toe and that was a different experience because i needed to go to the hospital i needed to have x-rays i got the little walking boot that they give people um i had some other stuff and um with the visit to the doctor and his fees and the x-ray and the walking boot that they gave me and a couple of months of, of physical therapy that i had afterwards it cost me about 35 euros out of pocket wow <laughs> so the language question in that story how much were you doing in french how much were you doing in english um how was it oh for the, the the health insurance with the when i went to have my with your foot, foot look and the it doctor in all in French there you you can't expect anybody to have any English for that not here I in Paris maybe or in the bigger cities you might find English speaking doctors but there are not very many here okay so you've alluded to this Lynn but one of the things I really loved about your story is how you built that that network of friends both French and not French and as I said, this is something that I think everybody needs to think about when you're moving, whether it's in the States or abroad, how are you going to have that social network? Because it's so important to our happiness, to our mental health as we age. So can you share your tips about finding and building a community in a new country? Yeah, and I think you touched on something there, Sylvia, that I think is really important. And that is that for the people out there who are considering living abroad, I think something, you've got a long list of things to think about, but I think something to really give yourself some time and space to think about is how much do you anticipate interacting with the community when you arrive? How much do you want to get to know the locals and how much of your life do you want to spend with English speakers? It's important to have a good sense of that for yourself when you when you get to where you're wherever it is that you're going, because it's hard hard to integrate. You, you have to make an effort. Um, it's hard enough to meet people anyway. I, this is not an easy thing for, for lots of people. And so you're already needing to make an effort of some kind. But when you've got the barrier of another language, it becomes something that you have to make a conscious effort about. And so if you already know coming into it, if that's something that's important to you or not, then that'll help. And then how you go about doing it. I, you know, I was really, really lucky because a friend of mine introduced me to a friend of hers and I met his parents and these, his parents are my closest friends here. So that I, you know, I completely lucked into an amazing situation. 
but that's not going to happen for most people. And so ways to do it I, I, are, again, it depends on the size of the community that you're in. If you go to a big city, there will be all kinds of social clubs that you can tap into. Some of them, there will be American clubs in places like Nice and Bordeaux and Toulouse and of course Paris, any of the bigger cities, there will be all kinds of American clubs or English language clubs that you can tap into. And that's an easy entree because you can get in with some of those people and start making friends that way. And you'll naturally gravitate towards the people who are interacting with the French. And then you might meet more French people that way. Um, another thing to consider is I don't, I can't speak to this in big cities because I haven't lived in a big city, but, but my town has a very active social club. Um, not every town does, but most towns try to have something. Um, and that it's a really great way to get out and be active and do things with people. So, so the club here in bees does, does during the season, not in the summer, but the rest of the year, we do weekly walks that are a little bit shorter, like two hours. And then uh, twice a month, there's a really, there's a day long walk. Um, that's the, the way that I got into the group because I'm a walker. There's, uh, there are lots of arts. There's a painting group and, and a mosaics group. And there, there are people who get together to sew and do needlework and that kind of thing. There's a computer group. So there are classes for, for people to learn how to use their computer better. Um, uh, it just goes on. There's a lot, there, there are a lot of activities for, again, a small town's social club. Um, so it's, I, it's fun. I love hanging out with these people. They're fantastic people. And, and most of the people in the club are, are local French. So anything that I do there, I'm going to be speaking French. And so it's great practice for, for language skills. And through that, I've met other people. So it's, it sounds like the big lesson is dive in, find something you're interested in, join the club, you will meet other people and branch out from there. But you have to make a big effort. You have to make an effort. And you, you, you gotta, I, you know, when if you decide to go live abroad, you got to have a really good sense of humor and you have to be willing to laugh at yourself because you're going to fail and you're going to look like an idiot more than once. So, you know, you might join a club and find out it's the wrong group or take a class and decide that you don't really like it after all. It's okay to, you know, back out and do something different, try other things keep trying different things until you find the stuff that works for you. And, and it may take a while. So persistence helps a lot too. And the you know, same thing could happen to you in the States. You, you join Absolutely. an organization and you just do not click with them and you move on to something else. But Lynn, I know you also have some strong views about those who think the French are just so rude and won't speak English. <laughs> and you have a really fix for everyone to try on their next trip to France. <laughs> Yeah, so I, it's happened to me, and I, I wish I could see a show of hands, but if I ask you all to raise your hand, how many of you have had an experience where you think that the French were rude? I, I'm very curious about how many hands would go up. It certainly has happened to me. And the thing is that there's a really easy fix to this, but it's not obvious to Americans because it's not part of our culture. And the deal is that that Americans, I've, I've had many people say to me, you know, how do you, how do you live there? Because the French are so rude. And 
I'll just say flat out, they're not rude at all. They're some of the kindest, most generous giving people I have ever met, actually. But the thing for Americans to sort of take a deep breath and maybe take a step back and ponder is that maybe it was the Americans who were rude first. And the way that this happens is, is with the word bonjour. It's a really simple thing, but the French consider bonjour to be the absolute foundation of all polite interaction. And I've watched parents with their toddlers on the street coaching them to say bonjour to that lady who's walking down the street and approaching them. And they all stop and say, bonjour, madame. And I love that that happens. It's a, it's a wonderful thing, but it is, it is so ingrained in, in kids from the time that they're babies here that you always, always, always start every interaction with bonjour. So you walk into a shop, you open the door, ting, 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 bonjour, even if you don't see anybody. That's really kind of the way to announce that you're there in a friendly way. You say bonjour at the post office. You say bonjour to the person who's checking out your groceries. You say bonjour all the time, passing people on the street. It's, it's just, it's always said. And, and the times when you forget to say it, they'll, t they'll let you know. And, and, and they can be remarkably rude, but they think that you were rude first. So an example of this would be that you get off the plane and you're exhausted and you just want to get your vacation started and your luggage doesn't show up. And so you're cranky about this and you have to go to that desk over there and there are 30 people ahead of you and that just makes you more tired and more cranky. And so when it gets to be your turn, you show up at the desk and you go, my luggage is lost. <laughs> and it doesn't work. It doesn't work in the States. It doesn't work in English anyway. And we all know that, but here it really, really doesn't work. And even if you come in with that sort of stressed out demeanor, if you say bonjour first, it'll help a lot. Bonjour, my luggage is lost. Will be a lot more well-received by the people. So it's a, it's a really interesting concept. And it's easy to forget. It, it took me a while to get into the habit of it. And I, I still, every once in a while, I slip up, but it'll make all the difference in the world for, for when you're traveling, when you're here on vacation, and certainly when you live here, just get in the habit of saying bonjour. And there's a great book. You you have the info about um, about the book, The Bonjour Effect. Is yes, it? A yes, we'll put it in the chat. Great. So, so there's a, a book written by this young French Canadian couple who have lived in France off and on. It's called The Bonjour Effect. I don't know if it's still in print. I think Amazon still sells it. It may be at your library. Read the first chapter. You don't need to read the whole book. The first four chapters are good, but the first chapter will give you a really good explanation for, for why this is a great idea. Okay. I am, I'm getting it from my library as soon as I can. So thank you. <laughs> so we're getting um, a bunch of questions about taxes. And we've already touched on it some, and I just want to make clear to everyone that we are not tax, tax experts, but no matter where you retire, as Lynn said, as American citizens, as an American citizen, she has to file her taxes every year. That goes for all American citizens or green card holders who are living abroad. Countries will have different tax treaties with the U.S. that let you offset some or all the taxes in one country against the other. And so you're probably going to want to talk to someone with expertise in both tax systems. 
But please, as we get into this, don't think of France as a low cost, low tax retirement option. If that's what you're looking for, we're gonna flag Latin America. We had a chat a few months ago with a woman who's been uh, living in Panama for a decade and talks about her experience. And we're putting a link to that podcast in the chat. But Lynn, is there anything you want to add about taxes or any perks for seniors that people are asking about? Well, the, I, I think of those as two different categories. So it, yeah, we have to be really clear here that the United States absolutely requires all citizens. And you're still a citizen if you live in France, if you come to live here, um, even under a long-term visa. Um, you have to pay taxes, file taxes in the United States, even if you're living abroad. The U.S. is one of two countries in the world that does this. The other one is Eritrea. So, I think North Korea does it too. But nobody leaves North Korea. Yeah. Okay, but how many North Koreans are living abroad? I don't know. Anyway. Diplomats. Mm -hmm. <laughs> nobody. So, so you have to file your, your U.S. taxes. And um, taxes here can be high. Americans, you know, we, we have this thing about taxes and I don't know, people don't want to pay them, but taxes buy you a lot here. And it's, I, I am not one who tends to object so much to paying taxes because I recognize what they buy and I appreciate it. So taxes help pay for the health insurance that I get. Taxes pave the roads, send kids to school, um, help pay for there was a program here for a while that I think has been extended where people could get have insulation done in their house to help cut heating costs. And it cost every homeowner a euro to have this insulation installed. That was a, a government project. So yeah, I, it seems like you're paying high taxes, but it, it balances out in other places where you're not needing to spend a lot of money at all. Um, so that's, I don't know if that really answers that question, but but you have to pay your taxes. It's just, you can't get away from it. Um, programs for seniors definitely exist here. There's a, there's a lot of stuff. So um, I haven't taken advantage of everything, although I'm in, there are a couple of events that I've gone to where you have to be, I think 60 in order to go. There are other things where you have to be 65. Um, you, you know, you certainly get discounts at museums and, and theater and, and concerts and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, you get transportation discounts. I, I get a, a senior discount for the, the, um, the train system here in France. So whenever I buy a ticket to go up to Paris, I'm, I'm getting that ticket at a discounted price. Um, so yeah, definitely those kinds of programs here. All paid for with your tax dollars. So um, got a question from Ralph about the hurdles people should be prepared to face as they move to France. Um, we've talked a bit about advice um, of uh, what you're going to to be clear about your intentions. Lynn has a couple of face group, uh, France uh, focused face group uh, groups for the France curious retirees that we're going to add to the chat. I'm also going to add a chat to um, a, a, a link in the chat to a story we ran on MarketWatch about pitfalls of retiring abroad, just to offer some extra perspective. Um, but anything else you're thinking of, Lynn, of what hurdles people should be prepared to face beyond the language barrier? Yeah, so um, depending on how long you're thinking about coming here, um, when you, for most people, 
if you're not being sponsored to come as an employee, you're then you're coming as a visitor. You're basically going to come on a tourist visa. And you, you have to have a visa if you're going to be here for longer than 90 days. And then the longest visa you can get is a year. So I'm coming up on my fifth year here and I've needed to renew that visa once a year. And you can't let it slip. That's a big no-no because the next time you leave the country, you're not getting back in. So they're very serious about it. You, you have to keep applying, you know, keep that visa current when, when you're staying here. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you have to go through that whole process. And it's, it's not quite as cumbersome as the first time around, but you know, it's, there's a whole dossier of paperwork that I need to take every year. So, so there's that. Um, the driver's license is a hurdle, and I, that's, a, that's another big important one. So your driver's license from the United States is good for exactly one year. And at the point of one year and one day, if you are pulled over by um, a policeman for whatever reason, and they look at your U.S. driver's license, if if your your um, yeah your U.S. license, if they see that you've been here for longer than a year, they're going to say they're going to ask you if you've applied for your French driver's license. And if you have applied but you don't have the license yet, then you'll have some kind of a document that you can show the police officer. But if you haven't applied yet, then you, I, I don't know if you're going to get a big ticket. I'm not really sure. I haven't talked to anybody who, who's actually fallen into that trap. But getting a French driver's license is a bit of a trick. So I was lucky because I came from one of, I think, 13 states that have their own separate agreement with, with France that I could turn in my driver's license and basically swap it for a French driver's license. So I lucked out. Although... So, you know, it means that I didn't go through the courses and the driving school and all of that stuff um, it, that would probably have been better for my driving. <laughs> um, but I also have a friend who just finished going through that whole process because she came from a state that didn't have that exchange. And so she had, it was required that she had to take driving lessons, go to driving school. She had to take a written exam. If she passed the written exam, then that that got her permission to do this, this sort of driving school setup that is targeted exactly at people getting their driver's licenses. She did that for, I don't know, maybe a month. And then she was in the queue to, to take a, a driving test with somebody, um, not in your car. Um, unlike in the United States, you're using their car. And um, then you you know you you take that test and then you hope that you pass that test and then you'll be you'll you'll be in the queue to get your your actual French driver's license. So it's a long, kind of expensive and really difficult process because it's all in French. It sounds a lot more complicated than changing states, and you may not even have to yeah. take the written test when you change states to get a new yeah. license. Oh, yeah. Do you have a rough idea how much the whole process is costing your friend? Are we talking a couple thousand dollars or versus a couple hundred dollars? You know, I um, let me see if I can if I can conjure this up. So she did a lot of the studying on her own because she already was pretty fluent in French and she just sort of went for it. But I think most people would take classes. I don't know how much those are. Um, she the online exam that she had to take the written exam. I can't remember how much that was, maybe 75 euros, but I, please don't quote me on that. Then the the official lessons, driving lessons that she had to take, I think that was a couple hundred. 
Um, and I, I don't know what they charged her to take the driving test um, afterwards. People that I know who have had to take the, the class before you even apply to, to, um, to do the switch have paid a couple thousand euros. Okay, this is not a cheap, this is one of those things that you need to budget for then as you move. You for, and you need to budget for it sort of emotionally too. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And I don't talk about it a lot because I sort of lucked out and the friends I have who didn't get to do it as easily as I did are not, they're kind of cranky with me about that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not unique to France. Um, there's, the UK test is notoriously difficult and it's not just because you're driving on the wrong side of the road. So um, there's, there's a lot, this is not unique to France. And if you're coming from Europe to the US, you are, you're, it's not like your driver's license gets treated automatically. Your whole driving history gets treated as if you've been driving for a long time and your insurance rates are low and all that good stuff. Um, we've got a couple last questions, Lynn, um, some, some language questions. Gary asks, what was your French level prior to arrival and how did you expand your language skills besides the friends and those sort of forced uh, French situations? Did you take classes? Um, I know you had the two weeks before you came of intensive language. Um, how would you describe your French skills now? And Ara asks, did you ever take the test to determine what level you are at? Um, DELF A1, A2, B1, B2, which is Vantage or Upper Intermediate, which is, you know, do you even need to think about that stuff? Or do you just take some classes? No, I, I am a little too familiar with those numbers. <laughs> so um, when I came here, my French was probably in the B1 level, which I would say is, um, is fairly basic for being able to communicate with people. Um, it, so it starts with A1, that's really, really basic. Bonjour, je m'appelle, some, some really simple things. Um, A2 starts to get into verb conjugation and, and just a little bit more complex structure and being able to hear, to, to understand what you're, what you're hearing. Um, B1, it just, you know, it just starts to, to flesh out the, the vocabulary and, and verb conjugation and, and, um, and communication, conversational skills. So um, I, I do know what my, roughly what my level is because this year I'm applying for a 10-year residence visa and in order to do that, I have to be at a certain uh, language proficiency. And so I took the test uh, two months ago. And um, it's really, it's, it's only a test to find out if I qualify at the le level that I need to be, which I, I only needed to be B1 for this. So I kind of already knew that I was there, but I have, to, I have to take the official test and you know, submit the results as part of my application. So um, the teacher that I've been taking private lessons with somebody and, and he just thinks it's hilarious that I was going through all of this, but he understood why I needed to do it. But he said that I'm pretty firmly a B2 level, which means I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. It, I, I could, there's plenty of room for improvement, but, um, and the places where it's difficult are the places that don't ever really get covered in language school. So when I have to take my car to the mechanic, <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't have the vocabulary for a lot of the things that I would like to talk to him about. Luckily, he's kind and patient with me and just, he's a great guy. 
um, your medical things, you know, sometimes I can't explain I what that feels like or, or you know, what kind of pain that is or, you know, that kind of thing um, gets a little tricky. So it's really, it's not the stuff that they cover in school or in classes. It's the, it's the day-to-day living stuff that has a very particular vocabulary. And that's, I think that's some of the last to come for everybody. I, I got to say, I would have a hard time talking to my car dealer or my car mechanic about what's wrong with the car. I don't know those. I don't know enough about those words in English. I just don't <laughs> want to deal with it. So, um, and I can imagine there's other terms that all of us, even in English, if we started talking about a garden, you wouldn't know what kinds of flowers we were talking about or something else. There's lots of things that just um, aren't our priority. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think we're just about out of time, Lynn. You've been incredibly generous and, and shared so much about your life in France and what people can expect, the good um, and the things to think about before you go. So um, if you're interested in more of MarketWatch retirement content, marketwatch.com slash retirement is where you go and you can find the Where Should I Retire series. But in going to just let you know tomorrow we'll have another chat. It'll be with Barron's Deputy Editor Alex Yule and Associate Editor for Technology Eric Savitz. And they will be discussing the outlook for tech companies and individual stocks. Very different from retirement, but I hope you'll join us. And once again, thank you so much for joining us and for listening. Stay well and have a good day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.